0: Today, we are continuing in our series uh, looking at uh, He Shall Be Called is the name of the series. And we're looking at a verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Um, and it's, uh, it, it, it goes like this. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week, Cliff talked about how Jesus is our Wonderful Counselor. This week, I want us to talk about how Jesus... Is mighty God. So let's pray and we'll talk more about this. God, I thank you so much that you are, that you're here with us, God, that, that, or that we can come here this morning and worship you, that we can come here this morning, sing your praises, that we can come here this morning and just, just talk about you. Lord, I ask that you would bless this time. Lord, we love you and we pray this all in your name. Amen. So the word mighty quite literally means possessing great power or great strength. And whenever I think about uh, God and describing God to somebody, I think uh, four things. I think that God is love, first off. I think that God is omniscient, which is a fancy way of saying that he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He's omnipresent which means that he's in all places at all times he's here but he's also there and over there and still here too he's in all places at all times and then lastly that God is omnipotent which means that he is all powerful God is almighty there's nothing stronger nothing more powerful in this world or any other world than our God and and Jesus is that God Jesus is omnipotent. He is all powerful. And we see Jesus' power and Jesus' might throughout his life. Like in John chapter 2, uh, Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana and they run out of wine, and Jesus turns water into wine. It, like H2O into whatever the chemical compound for wine is. Like he changes the chemistry of it. Like it's quite literally water, and then quite literally wine. And not only, it's not like the gas station $3 bottle of wine, not the box wine, right? It's the good stuff. Now, I work at Trio in downtown Greenville um, just a couple times a week on Tuesday nights and on Friday lunch. If you want to come by and sit in my section and leave me big tips, that's fine. Uh, And Trio is not like the nicest restaurant, but it's not like bottom, it's somewhere in the middle. And I think for our tier of restaurants. We've got a pretty nice wine list, but we've got the House Red, which is the Montepulciano, which is, you know, it's just a House Red. It's six dollars a glass. But then on the other side, we've got Silver Oak, which is a Cabernet Sauvignon, which is a red wine for those of you who don't know anything about that, which probably good for you. All right, the, the Silver Oak is a Cabernet Sauvignon, $125 a bottle. Like, that is a lot of money to pay for four glasses of anything Right, so Jesus, when he turned this water into wine, he didn't turn it into yellowtail Montepulciano. He turned it into silver oak. It was the good stuff. That's cool. That's a cool miracle. Like he just spoke it and it happened. He didn't have to like go dip his finger in it or like I don't. Know. He just spoke it and it happened. Cool miracle. John chapter nine. Jesus and his disciples are walking, and they, they walk by a man who's been blind since birth. And the disciples ask him, "Like, hey, Jesus, why is this guy blind? And Jesus gives them an explanation, but he basically says, this guy's blind so that I can do this right here. Jesus spits in the ground. He makes some mud, which I imagine it took more than one loogie to make mud, right? He took the mud, he put it on the guy's eyes. Gross. And then he told him to go wash off in the pool of Siloam. And whenever he came back, he could see. Now, if you were blind, all right, all right, think about it, this guy, he was blind. He wasn't deaf. He heard Jesus spitting on the ground. And I imagine people had messed with him before. Right? I mean, because it's a blind guy. I mean, I'm not saying that we should be mean to him, but I think that it would be easy to be mean to him. Anyway, so Jesus spits on the ground. I imagine he's thinking, oh great, here we go again. I mean, like if you were blind, And I walked up to you and was like, hey man, let me help you out. I'm going to spit on the ground, and then I'm going to make some mud. You're more likely to catch an infection or something than actually be able to see after I'm done, right? If I were to take some mud from my spit and rub it on your eyes, it's not going to help you out at all. My spit does nothing. Jesus' spit heals the blind. It's pretty cool. But Jesus does better stuff. John chapter 11. Jesus' friend Lazarus gets sick. And then he dies. By the time that Jesus actually shows up to Lazarus' house, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now that's significant because what the Jews believed is that when somebody died, that their their spirit, their soul, would hover above the body for three days, hoping to reenter. This is day four. The spirit, his soul, had already given up and gone on to heaven or hell, whichever one. Like That's what they believed. Like we don't believe that, but that's what the Jews at this day and time believe that a, that a spirit or a soul would hover above the body for three days and then move on. So, this is the fourth day, and Jesus shows up. Mary and Martha, his sisters, they, believe, they, they, they didn't believe that Jesus could do anything for him at this point. Maybe if he had come a day before, maybe if he had come while he was still alive, Jesus could have helped him. But it's been four days. He's been dead for four days. There's nothing. He, the people who were there mourning Lazarus' death. They didn't believe that Jesus could do anything, but Jesus tells them, roll away the stone. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. That's all it took. Dead man for four days walks out of the tomb fully alive. That's, that's powerful. Like Jesus, by his words, changed water to wine. Jesus, through his spit, restores the sight of a blind man. Through his words, he raises the dead. We're just scratching the surface of His power. Because in Genesis 1-1, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, all too often, I think what we do is that that we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but the Father was in the Old Testament. The Son, Jesus, was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the beginning of Acts, and maybe some in Revelation. And then uh, the Holy Spirit is the rest of Acts, and then all the letters up to Revelation. But that's not true. Like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are present in the Gospels. They're present in the in the minor prophets, in uh, the Psalms, in the law, in the in Joshua and Judges, and throughout the entire Bible. God, the Trinity, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're throughout the entire Bible. When 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 God created the heavens and the earth, it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all working together to do that. We and we, we see that. Uh, when, when, when God created man, it says that, that he said, uh, let us create man in our own image, not in my own image. There's a, plural, uh, there's a plural us, right? Like Jesus was present, involved, speaking the world into existence. John describes it differently in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This word that that, that John speaks of is Jesus. Jesus is the word. Like, the word that was with God, Jesus was with God. The, The word that everything was made through, that was Jesus. Like, Jesus, he was involved in creating the entire world. And John says that, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, like Christmas, right? Jesus came to earth as a baby. That's, that's incredible. like a, a baby. I'm not too far removed from having uh, a little baby girl, and I'm not too far removed from having a baby boy in February, and we're excited about that. But babies, they, they eat, and they sleep, and they poop, and they cry. Like, they do nothing else. They can't do anything for themselves, Right? They they they, they can't feed themselves, they can't change themselves, they can't take themselves places or or, or drive themselves to the doctor. Parent, me and Laura, we have to do everything for her, for him. Like we're going to have to, to do everything. Like that that was Jesus, when Jesus came to Earth, he was fully God, but he was fully human, and I gotta believe he was fully baby. That Jesus still ate, slept, pooped, and cried. I think that some, sometimes we like to think that Jesus didn't cry, or Jesus didn't poop, that his diapers just, I don't know where it went, he had some kind of magical poo, but like Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was fully baby, right? And I got to believe that Satan knew that. I got to believe that when Like, because John 10.10 tells us that the thief, the devil, he comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to ruin everything about God. Like, he wants to to ruin every one of God's plans. He wants to ruin everything that God's people are doing. And so i got to believe that when Jesus was born, as a baby, that the devil knew it. And yet... What could what could the devil do again? Like, Satan tried to take Jesus out. Couldn't do it. As a baby, Jesus Christ was still the most powerful being in the entire universe. But Jesus, you know, we see his, we see his might and we see his power throughout his life. And the way that he, he did miracles and the way that he healed people, the way that he brought back the dead, the the fact that He was a part of creating the entire world. But I think that the the place that we see Jesus' strength, Jesus' power, His might the most, is in the cross. You see, we know the story for the most part. Jesus was um, arrested and uh, accused of blasphemy, falsely accused of blasphemy. They took him and they beat him, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they they whipped him, tore his back back to shreds, they condemned him to die on a Roman cross. Jesus carried his cross about a half mile up a hill to where he'd be executed and they drove nails through through his hands, they drove nails through his feet, put a crown of thorns on his head pierced his side, all the while mocking, all the while cursing Jesus. But I think that, that to really understand the power of Christ in the cross, that we need to back up just a little bit. Before we get to the part where Jesus suffered and died, let, let's look back to um, the, the moments before Jesus was arrested. Luke chapter 22, we're going to read verses 39 through 44 here. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus left the, basically the Lord's Supper, and uh, what we call the Lord's Supper, and he was going with his disciples to the Mount of Olives, which was normal. to Spend some time in prayer, which was normal. But what was different about this time is that Jesus knew that his time had come. Jesus knew that what he had come to the earth to do was about to take place. He knew that Judas had already betrayed him. He knew that he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be beaten and eventually killed. Jesus knew that. And it says that that he withdrew from from his disciples about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, you know, Father, remove this cup from me if, if, if you will, your will, but not mine. It says that he was in such agony, such anguish, that an angel came down from heaven and comforted him, strengthened him. It says that, that Jesus, while praying, that, that he, he began to sweat blood. Like literally Sweat, but like when we sweat, it's salt water essentially. I guess coming out of our out of our pores. Jesus was literally sweating drops of blood. It's a condition called hematidrosis. If I said that right, hematidrosis, which where you you literally sweat blood. It's extremely painful. It's 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 a it's a condition that, that takes place whenever somebody's face like face to face with death. They say that the inmates on death row whenever they whenever they face their their execution. That sometimes they 'll experience this, or soldiers on the battlefield whenever they, whenever they realize like that death is coming for them, like that they begin to to, to sweat blood and, and Jesus experienced this, but we need to understand here that that, that jesus agony and his, uh, his apprehension and anxiety had nothing to do with the cross jesus' apprehension and, and, and this pressure and this stress had nothing to do with the crown of thorns or the fact that he would be beaten or the fact that he would be whipped. He had no fear of Pilate. He had no fear of Herod or the Sanhedrin or death or suffering at all. Jesus' apprehension, what, what gave him pause really, was bigger than that. Jesus wasn't afraid of death. Like There are accounts of martyrs, like Christian martyrs, who were crucified just like Christ, who on the cross sang praises to God. There are stories of men going to the gallows to be beheaded and and saying things like, they're going to remove my, my physical head, but they'll never remove my spiritual head, which is Christ. A story of a man in India, and this is insane, being skinned alive, And saying to the people, skinning him, saying, I thank you. Tear off my old garment that I may put on the garment of Christ and his righteousness. Are these people better than Christ? Like Jesus wasn't afraid of death. Let's look at what he says here in verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. The the cup. The cup wasn't the cross. I think that I grew up believing that. I grew up thinking that the cup was the cross. But if you look throughout the Scripture, in Isaiah 51, it talks about the cup of the wrath of God. In Jeremiah 25, it talks about the cup of the wine of the wrath of God. In Revelation 16, it talks about the cup of the wrath of fury of God. Jesus knew that on the cross, He was going to experience God's wrath. And so Jesus faced the beatings he faced the trials he faced the torture and he suffered and he died on the cross but bigger than that bigger than that while jesus was on the cross the sins of the world were placed upon him your sins and my sins were placed upon jesus and jesus on the cross utters the phrase my god my god why have you forsaken me? I think old-timey preachers like to say things like, God, God had to turn his back from Jesus. Had to turn away. He couldn't look. He couldn't bear the sight of seeing his son tormented and tortured. He couldn't bear the sight of seeing his son in that condition. That's just not true. G- God turned his back from Jesus. God turned his face away from Christ because he couldn't bear the sight of seeing his son with your sin on him. In that moment where Jesus took on the sins of the world, God poured out the entire cup of his wrath, of his anger, of his hatred toward sin, of his punishment on Jesus. Jesus is a mighty God. Jesus, who created the world, who walked on water, who, who healed the sick, healed the lame, restored the sight to the blind, raised people from the dead. Jesus came to this earth to seek and save the lost. Jesus on the cross, took our sin. And when God poured out His wrath, His judgment, His punishment on Jesus, He swallowed it all up. He absorbed every bit of wrath that God had restored, like every bit of wrath that God had stored up for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still weak and at just the right time, Christ died for us. On the cross, every sin in the world was placed on Jesus. The sin of the people nailing him to the cross was placed on Christ. Your sin and my sin was placed on Christ. Christians, your sin was placed on Jesus. Probably not many in the room, but atheists, your sin too was placed on Jesus. The sins of the entire world, big and small, like white lie, murder placed on Christ. Stealing a five cent piece of bubblegum, Rape placed on Christ. No sin was too small. No sin was too big that Jesus didn't die for it. That's not to say that everyone's saved. It's not to say that everyone's going to meet up in heaven one day. But God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to us. He sent Jesus to live a perfect life. To go to the cross where he could take on the sins of the entire world. Where he could go to the cross and God could pour out the, the, the entire cup of his wrath on Christ. And Jesus would absorb it all. God sent Jesus that if we, could just, if we just believe in him, if we just repent of our sins, if we just give him our life, he will save us. We can spend eternity with him. We can, we can experience Him here on earth. Jesus is the mighty God of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I didn't even get to the part where He comes back to life. You serious? Jesus died three days later, comes back to life. Not only is Jesus the mighty God, He's a living God. This Christmas... As we get closer and closer to the day of the year where we just eat way too much and open presents and spend time with family, and it's great. Remember why we're doing it. It's to celebrate, to remember, to celebrate Jesus' birth. Jesus, the mighty God. the, The baby in the manger, mighty God. Who died for you. The mighty God who absorbed God's wrath for you. Remember that this season. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. God, your love for us is so incredible. That you sent Christ to the earth to live and to die for us. God, it doesn't even make sense sometimes to think that like this works, that, that our sins are just on him. but God, we just thank you that, that you're just bigger than, than us and bigger than our minds. Lord, help us not to forget you this season. Help us not to get, get too caught up in the hustle and bustle of, of Christmas and the holiday season to forget you. Lord, if there are people in here who need to give their lives to you, Lord, I pray that that you you would stir that in their heart. That they would not leave this place without talking to somebody about it. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for all that you do for us. God, we pray this all in your name. Amen.